Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm Caroline. And I'm Anna. And this is Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman. Hello. Hello. Welcome back to another episode of Seriously. We talked about the Cursed Child book last week and... Lots of you have got in touch, so we thought we'd do a little recap of some of your emails. Mute this for five minutes if you're still avoiding spoilers for The Cursed Child, if you are still avoiding spoilers. How? Why? I mean, you are a kind of spoiler ninja if you've managed (laughs) it, but well done. So we had an email from Rachel who said she was sceptical at first when it was released, but eventually caved and bought the book, and she said it reminded her of very well-written fanfiction. We discussed some similarities with fanfiction, but we decided it was perhaps not the best-written fanfiction we have read. She says, you can tell that the original canon source material is there, but it's far away enough to be an original story. I think I probably agree. She says, the book hits every fan cliche going from Bellamort's to time travel. Definitely. Definitely. And I think that in some cases to its detriment. Yeah, so do I. But she says, I thought it did it in a plausible way. I mean, of course, Leisha Malfoy has a time turner, which mm, I don't know. Anyway, she says she does agree with us in that some characters were warped from how they were in the canon, especially Snape and Ron. And she also hated the idea that you could be evil based upon who your parents are and agreed that it goes against the entire premise of the book. So this is basically, I think, how most people sort of most people agree with me on those broad points, but like Rachel, like, but I still thought it was really well written and really good. That tends to be the sort of general feeling that I'm getting a sense of just anecdotally. Yeah, I do think that you and I are in a minority of thinking that if it's possible to divorce it from any like Harry Potter context, I do think that it's just a in isolation a badly written play i think it could be a well-written play i think there are points where it is really well written but i think the problem for me is more it veers off the canon so much i also wanted to just briefly touch on this idea is the cursed child as fan fiction yeah because i feel like that has been a very very common response yeah you can control f all the reviews couldn't you and find fan fiction in each of them i would say and it's something that our pal elizabeth minkle has written at length about this idea of calling a follow-on work fan fiction yeah she's got some strong she's got some strong thoughts about this and i generally agree with her because she said that by and large a lot of the times mainstream media reviewers who maybe don't really know anything about fan fiction do that as a way of denigrating a work yeah by comparing it to fan fiction 50 shades of gray exactly you're saying it's lesser and not very important and probably rubbish yeah which is not good 
or people compare it to fan fiction in a positive way. So it's people who really like fan fiction. In that case, they tend to say it's like good fan fiction rather than it's like fan fiction. But even then, she has a problem with that. And I just wanted to quote briefly from her piece about this because I think she says it really well. She says, We've reached the hill I'm going to die on. And the second reason The Cursed Charge is fanfic is a frustrating statement. This play is not fan fiction because in reality, it's a sanctioned follow-on work written for money, likely a fair bit of money. I trudged up this metaphorical hill last autumn when people were calling Rainbow Rolls Carry On and Stephanie Meyer's Life and Death works of fan fiction, even though they were both original novels playing with text both women had respectively authored. In a nice twist from fanfic as pejorative, which is, as far as I could tell, the main way it's being used when discussing The Cursed Child, many people calling these works fic to lift them up, to say that they're doing the same work as fan fiction, the what-ifs and rehabs, it just it gives me feelings. Yeah, I agree with her that you can't ignore those fundamental power dynamics going on. This is what it comes down to, isn't it? If fan fiction is a collaborative community thing, mostly written by women, mostly written by people with no involvement in the official canon, and actually a lot of the time the object is to queer or correct or spin off from the original canon, how can you call an official sanctioned follow-on work written by two men very well paid for their labour. Fan fiction. Yeah, (laughs) and I think it also is a good way of exploring the points at which this play leans into that fan fiction world. Black Hermione, the Albus Scorpius sort of friendship, possibly veering into more than friendship vibes. Mm. They're there but they're sometimes not that satisfactory but they're like the you know the fact that Scorpius and Albus is never a queer relationship fundamentally in the end these are things that reflect the authorship in a sense yes exactly so i think rachel's email is more right on this sense in that there are fanon tropes and clichés to be found in the cursed child mm-hmm. but it's not a work of fan fiction definitely as a whole So anyway, moving on, because we'll talk about it forever, won't we? We will. And maybe at some point we'll... uh, Actually, that was something else I wanted to mention. The fact that although I don't like the play, I feel like the moment of Harry Potter revisiting that it has engendered has been great. Yeah, I've loved reading people's thoughts. Lots of people thought, because I I wrote a piece about this uh, for the New Statesman and you know getting lots of replies from people disputing particular points or agreeing harshly with other points it's just a way to go back into that harry potter world and like even if we're like god this ron is awful that's a way that we're just talking about ron again which Mm. i like and what the ways in which ron has been portrayed just leads you back to the fundamentally great things about the original character of ron i was reminded as well by the british library have announced that they're going to be doing an exhibition next year to celebrate 20 years since philosopher's stone came out which both makes me feel really elderly but also makes me really excited that the harry potter conversation is going to continue and one of the great things about that the idea that it's 20 years since the first harry potter book is for me harry potter has been a continuous thing mm, yeah i know i've never stopped being part of or the thinking about or harry potter yeah. it, most things like that where you're like oh my god i feel so old the last time i was thinking about this you know this was happening and that was happening with harry potter you're like no this has been pretty constant all the way through so it's exciting to see where it'll go next yeah on a different subject we've had an email from sophie wadden who gets in touch to say that she's just started listening to the call your girlfriend podcast after we mentioned it and as she's got a long-haul flight from australia to england and then a whole month in england with lots of traveling around she's looking for some more recommendations along those lines so i thought we might want to do one of our semi-regular shout outs to other pods Mm. there's loads of stuff that we could recommend isn't there i think 
another round is possibly the most mainstream comparison to call your girlfriend would you say yeah if you like two three women chatting about stuff another round is a really good one that's from buzzfeed us and it's really funny it's really good So if you want to giggle on the plane that'll be a good one there's another one that's launched more recently that's along similar lines called two dope queens which is has a similar vibe if you're more into kind of the topics that call your girlfriend touches on there's some more kind of fanny pop culture ones in the form of fansplaining which we've appeared on Mm -hmm. which please which is a harry potter specific Mm -hmm. conversation my favorite harry potter specific podcast as well has to be potter and daughter yeah that's a fab one a favorite of ours so a few things for you to check out there and enjoy your trip exciting so the next thing we're going to talk about is stranger things a new netflix original series set in the small town of hawkins a suburb of 1980s indiana when a schoolboy will disappears his mother played by winona Ryder, brother and school friends all go looking for him meanwhile a strange young girl known only as 11 appears in his place Will is is missing. I don't know where he is. 99 out of 100 times, kid goes missing. The kid is with a parent or a relative. What about the other time? What? You said 99 out of 100. What about the other time? The one. The one. Will! Will! Guys, I really think we should turn back. Did you guys hear that? That's not Will. And then vaguely supernaturally unexplainable things, as per the title Stranger Things, start to happen. So it's had a lot of coverage, hasn't it? Mainly for its sort of nostalgia vibes, would you say? Yeah, definitely. You wrote about this. The kind of aesthetic of it looks very much like the cover of a VHS from the 80s, you know. Mm-hmm. There's a sort of slightly Spielberg-y Very Spielberg-y, feel, I'd say. Yeah. Feel to the whole thing. It's very... I feel like if you are into American movies of the 70s and 80s, you will watch Stranger Things and feel like you've come home. Yeah, and it doesn't really matter what genre almost in a way, because it spans a few and still manages to feel extremely specific. So Mm. it's got those sort of alien vibes and, you know, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, that sort of sci-fi style thing. But then also like the Goonies and Stand By Me, that sort of like small town. There's some X-Files stuff in there as well, I think. Yeah, and I also get like John Hughes vibes from the teenager plot lines. So there's all these different references going on at once, yet somehow it just really fits together in this, it feels like an extremely specific aesthetic, doesn't it? It goes together and feels very familiar, very easily locatable. And it's great to suddenly be immersed in a world that feels you know, that all-encompassing and that visually enticing and the characters are all so familiar but still original characters and modern. So it really sucks you in from the off, I'd say. It does, and a really good thing, as you say, about its look and its feel is that I think sometimes things that are extremely referential, particularly referential within, like, films that are referential of other films, Mm -hmm. can feel a bit know-it-all and clever. So as you're watching it, you're watching it at one remove being like, aha, that shot is a reference to Ra. I feel Mm -hmm. really clever for having Mm -hmm. spotted that. Like, perhaps... um 
Nicholas Winding Refn's Neon Demon. Yeah, you're conscious that something is being referenced here, but I don't know what, you know. This is for the pop culture lover, not the high culture lover. Exactly. This is for the pop culture lover. And also, whilst I guess I did have an awareness that lots of things I like had gone into the making of this, I didn't feel like I was constantly watching for the references. Mm, I like doing that. And I know that it's... I like doing it afterwards. So actually, another good thing about Stranger Things is that like the Reddit threads and the the Tumblr threads and stuff of people pointing out the references are really mm-hmm. fun afterwards. It's like a double mystery, isn't it? On the one hand, you've got this mystery of like, where did Will go? Where is mm. he? How are we going to find him? And then you've also got this mystery of like, what is this show doing? What are these posters on the wall saying? What is it hinting at through references and stuff? So I love that side of it. I f- and I think it's been great because you've got these four really, really geeky boys uh, in some of the lead roles who are always playing Dungeons and Dragons and you I know, love that. excited for their Ataris arriving at Christmas and that kind of thing. And the viewer becomes a sort of little version of them watching this show, you know, really, really enthusiastically enjoying all the little sort of Easter eggs you're being given rather than sort of analysing it critically, highbrowly. And I love that about this show. And I love the fact that they use the Dungeons and Dragons thing as a framing device as well. But mm-hmm. it's in the very first episode you get really early on, you get a little scene of the boys sat round playing a Dungeons and Dragons campaign and being called up to dinner and being like, you've been playing that for ages. Oh no, it's only 10 hours, you know, stuff mm-hmm. like that. Because the whole point of Dungeons and Dragons, if you're not familiar with it as a game, is that it's a tabletop role-playing game. Mm-hmm. So someone devises a fantastical story and then it's a kind of choose your own adventure, roll the dice, use your imagination, th- stuff within that. And that is a bit what Stranger Things feels like sometimes. And Well, I think in a very literal way as well, Stranger Things is about the idea that there's another world on top of the world you're living in simultaneously going on all around you all the time. If you're playing a game like Dungeons and Dragons, that's exactly sort of what you're doing. You're imposing this fantasy world on top of the world that you're currently living in. And it's, yeah, I love that. Yeah, which is really clever, I think, to Mm -hmm. use that device. And then also the idea that your actions can influence what happens in that other world. You know, Mm -hmm. you roll the dice and you get four, which means that you can do it blah 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 you know yeah so they they have these sort of weird references to the game don't they so the monster they're they're playing against in the first episode is the demogorgon i don't know as you can tell not a dungeon dragons obsessive and then there's a sort of weird monster starts to appear some at some point throughout this series that bears a striking resemblance Mm. and yeah without wanting to give loads and loads away it it always feels a little bit like they're playing an analogous game yes. in the real world. And I think part of what makes it so much fun to watch is that the kids do play a really active role mm-hmm. in looking for their friend mm-hmm. and stuff. So it does feel a little bit like they're carrying on their Dungeons and Dragons campaign. It's like them against the world. Yeah, exactly. And I think one of the most compelling things about this program is the characters. And there's been some really excellent performances. We have to talk about Winona Ryder, obviously, who plays the mother of the disappearing child, Will. So she's got this very jittery, anxious performance, which is something Winona Ryder brings to a lot of roles, isn't Mm. it? That sort of restlessness, uh, playing with her fingers, that kind of thing. And she's, she's like that on crack super super wired this performance but really god it's so great to watch her isn't it i love Mm. watching her i could watch her forever and it felt amazing to see her get like a big meaty role like this there's a really interesting profile of her on the cut that heather havreletsky did actually we were talking about last week last week and the whole theme of the profile in the interview is about winona Ryder as nostalgia Mm -hmm. and what does she bring to stranger things 
coming from the early part of her career being very much a kind of she she inhabited the world that Stranger Things is referencing. Yeah, exactly. You know? I also have to really recommend this piece by Soraya Roberts on Hazlitt, which was called Winona Forever, as was about every other piece about Winona mm. Ryder, which we can do better than this, guys. But it, yeah, it's... Oh, re- I saw one Winona Interrupted. I prefer that. Yeah. I like Winona Interrupted. It is amazing. Uh, and really, it's not an interview, but it's just really analytical in all her performances and, you know, the nostalgia quality of Winona Ryder. So yeah, she's great in this. I loved her performance. I thought all the child performances were really stunning. Yes. And I love a show with a child ensemble mm-hmm. rather than there being like one the child one child actor. actor who has to interact with all the grown-ups. Yeah. I love it when there's scenes of just children yeah so we get Eleven played by Millie Bobby Brown who's this very androgynous girl shaved head amazing so like powerful and Mm. cool and she's got basically got these weird supernatural powers where she can like move stuff and like hurt people and she's just my new style icon and everything to me I also love Dustin and Lucas who are so Mike is Will's best friend and Dustin and Lucas are the other two boys that make up the foursome and they're sort of a trio plus 11 going around trying to find him and they just have such great chemistry Dustin I love who at one point says the most amazing sentence of all time which is why are you keeping this curiosity door locked it's just so <laughs> funny yeah and I also love the the teenagers Steve Nancy Barb Jonathan mm. just such great like American high school characters that you could really just like get into all the like minutiae of the drama of their like high school lives. Obviously, there are bigger things at stake in this program, but just so, so good and immersive. And there's also on the immersive side, there's this kind of conspiracy theory. This is where I felt like the X Files in- mm. influence was strong, was the idea that, yeah, there's this unknown world just at your fingertips but the government don't want you to know about it and they're Mm -hmm. hiding it from you Mm -hmm. who doesn't love a government conspiracy and things like this and we get this police chief don't we chief jim hopper played by david harper who like scurries around trying to expose the government conspiracy uh Mm. and that's a really satisfying bit of like classic mystery plotting that's really fun so yeah heartily recommend Stranger Things right yeah definitely and I say that as someone who generally avoids things that I think are going to be horror-y because I don't like them yeah it's it's creepy yeah it's a bit creepy but always in a very interesting and engaging way rather than you never feel like it's just trying to make you jump Mm -hmm, exactly so definitely check it out Now we're going to talk about Finding Dory, which is Pixar's sequel to 2003's Finding Nemo. It focuses on the character of Dory, a regal blue tangfish, I had to look that up, who suffers from short-term memory loss and her search for the parents she lost many years before the action of either film. Did you hear that? What was that? Hear what? Stan, I just, I heard someone say hello. Yeah, there's a lot of fish here. Anybody, literally anybody could have just said hello. hello. There. Where am I looking? There. Oh. Hi. I'm Dory. Yeah, well, where are your parents? Hi, I've lost my family. Where did you see them last? I forgot. I was looking for something and I... Okay, totally get it. Date night. I suffer from short-term memory loss. It runs in my family. At least I think it does. 
Where are they? Dory's voiced by Ellen DeGeneres, and along with the original cast of Finding Nemo, this film also introduces Idris Elba and Dominic West as a wisecracking pair of sea lions. <laughs> that is great, that scene, isn't it? I love that bit. <laughs> really, really good. Maybe I'm wrong, but Finding Nemo was the first big Pixar crossover hit, right? It was so massive, wasn't it? I can't remember the chronology, but yeah, I feel like you're probably right. Yeah, that it was the first Pixar film my parents saw, mm-hmm. for instance, you know. I think it captured hearts globally, didn't it? It captured hearts, and I think it made people realise that computer animation could move people in the same way that live action or 2D animation could. Because mm, I feel like Disney was going through a, a period of really focusing on live action. Yeah. And then these collaborations with Pixar began. And it wasn't until after that that you saw some of these, you know, like Frozen, The Princess and the Frog, these kinds of things starting to really hit home in the way that some of their previous animated movies yeah, had. Yeah, basically it was story coming back to animation, mm-hmm. wasn't it? Yeah. So yeah, Finding Nemo, obviously, massive massive hit really really popular i saw ellen DeGeneres giving an interview about this a while ago and they asked her like so uh, why the you know 15 year hiatus between the two she was like i don't know <laughs> they didn't tell me i kept hoping they'd make another one and they just didn't ring me <laughs> oh that's so funny but also it takes quite a long time to make these sorts it of does. movies doesn't it does it? and i guess also pixar doesn't have unlimited resources and they have been doing other stuff in the meantime yeah so maybe just finding dory kept getting put on the schedule for next year you know it's funny though because i am glad that pixar still invests a lot in new original stuff mm. like inside out yeah they don't do that many sequels do they yeah which is i think largely a very good thing even if it does mean we have to wait a little longer for things like finding dory which i really enjoyed as a movie it's very similar in terms of plot to finding nemo it is i was very conscious of that when i was watching it i feel like finding nemo had three main elements to it it -hmm. had character driven stuff it had action sequences and it had peril Mm -hmm. and i felt like finding dory was checking all those boxes on a regular basis yeah and even the the sort of plot arcs of like the panic and terror of realising you've lost someone the desire to blame someone else for it then the sort of guilt at your own behaviour then the realisation that you have to let people go sometimes and you can't control like all those sort of arcs in and the realisation that you can rely on yourself and that you are capable and that kind of thing yeah and the overarching sort of moral lesson that you can draw from this like in Finding Nemo is the idea that just because somebody seems disadvantaged or disabled in some way doesn't mean that they're not independent and capable. Mm. So we have in Finding Nemo, one of the reasons that Nemo's dad is so overprotective is because Nemo's got this sort of short fin and he finds it difficult to keep up with some of the other fish in terms of speed and things like that. But he actually is fine on his own. Dory, short-term memory loss struggles to remember even the most basic things like how to get home but is also okay on her own one of the things i found really good about finding dory was the way it portrayed both dory having her worst time but also her finding her own way out of it so anyone who's ever had anxiety or anything like that will really recognize in the way it shows the fact that sometimes your anxiety about in her case memory loss makes the memory loss worse which makes the anxiety worse and she gets stuck in this loop where she starts to feel like she can't do it so she can't do it and she beats herself up constantly about not being able to remember stuff and then while she's busy doing that the thing floats out of her head yeah exactly it's great in that sense as a quite realistic look at these things although obviously they're all like cartoon fish Mm. it still still hits home some of it i found absolutely unbearably sad Mm. like the idea that her parents 
had been looking for her for however long oh, God, and yeah. like leaving these trails i actually was welling up every time they went back to that i was like jesus this is really really sad even though these are cartoon fish because that sense of like abandonment and stuff yeah. is really strong and the, the scene where she finds them again and then they explain that well we couldn't find you so we thought we'll just stay here mm-hmm. for years yeah until and you get like, here <laughs> and then you'd come and i was like wow that is both very moving in the sense of wow what love and trust is there mm. but also that is bleak. That yeah, is incredibly really bleak. bleak. They don't shy away from sort of trying to make you understand the significance of these great stretches mm. of lost time and stuff like that in this movie. It which me... is quite complex for a kid's movie. Yeah, well it made me think about maybe things like 13 mm-hmm. that we've Definitely. talked about on the podcast before. That, you know, if you haven't seen it or listened to us talk about it before, that's a story about a, a girl who gets kidnapped aged 13. For 13 years. For 13 years. And then when she comes back, you know, like her mum's kept her bedroom the same and stuff like that. And you feel like that's a bit like the fish waiting, mm-hmm. just waiting forever. Exactly. Trusting blindly that, of course, she'll come back. Yeah. Know? And lots of commentators have said that this reminds them of sort of Alzheimer's and mm. other very human conditions. I found it really emotional, actually actually i wasn't maybe wasn't expecting to find it as emotional as i did yeah i would say that i found the the emotional depths of it were as good as interesting as finding nemo mm-hmm. what made it a slightly less enjoyable film experience for me was that i didn't laugh as much there were less as i did in finding nemo yeah there were less fun side characters i think yeah. in a way i like the, all the cameos in finding nemo make it so sort of surprising and fun in this you get a reprise of some of those cameos like the stingray and the turtles yeah. but I, yeah I agree with you the great character for this is of course camouflage squid yeah. guy octopus octopus yeah He's an octopus, right? I think he's octopus, yeah, he's yeah. an he's an octopus, and he like sort of blends into his surroundings, and he's sort of kind of grumpy and dealing with his own isolation and abandonment yeah, issues. Yeah, he and... wants more than anything to just be kept safely in a tank where nothing can get him. <laughs> so his entire motivation is constantly trying to get humans to capture him and then put him in a tank. But yeah, that's a, whoever voiced him. Great performance and like really really funny. So more of that would have been nice. Mm. I did, however, thought they sort of went off the rails a bit in a great way in the final car chase. Yes. scene which I thought was brilliant and some people have been like that's when it falls to pieces a bit but I thought it was so funny it reminded me very much of Toy Story Yes, you know when they're trying to get in the van in Toy Story mm. the removal van it's like that so basically all these rare fish are being moved from an aquatic centre to another aquatic centre I guess or some rehabilitation you know pond i think maybe dory's not in the van or she's trying oh, to get no, in the she, van she is on the van she's, she's, the van. she's trying to get off the van she's trying to get to off get the, back into the ocean someone's yeah. trying to get in the van i don't know it, whatever but it's so funny there's these like human drivers of the van who are like being defeated by this octopus fish <laughs> combo so i liked all the weird bits could have done with some more weirdness but Definitely. just overall a really really great watch and so nice to see a film that is basically about like embracing what makes you different and being like actually this can be a disadvantage but it can also be a real real strength of my personality so uh, yeah i thought it was great Mm. there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care plush care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe fda approved weight loss medications like wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So last week I recommended that Anna watch the 1963 Italian film Eight and a Half, directed by Federico Fellini. It appears on lots of, you know, the 100 best films of all times, that kind of list. What did you make of it? Well, a rare diversion into the highbrow for me. (laughs) (laughs) It's crazy, right? It's weirder than I think I ever appreciated that Fellini was from Mm. the sort of general chat surrounding his work. I was sort of expecting something a bit more like with a clear narrative and with like easily defined characters. And it's not really like that at all. It sort of veers between reality and fantasy a bit and you're not quite sure what's going on a lot of the time. And yeah, there's these weird diversions into memory and stuff like that. But I think I really enjoyed it. I think my criticism would be it was very much one of those films that's like man has existential crisis. Oh yeah, it is. Well, it's explicitly about that. Yeah. Because its main character is a director who has got, is director's block a thing? I don't know. But he, (laughs) he can't, he's stalled on his next project that he's supposed to be working on and all around him, all the people involved in making the film are just constantly like, come on, come on, come on, come on, we need to make this film. Yeah, and he's like, oh, I'm having an affair. I feel Mm. so guilty about it. Like, no one understands my shame and my guilt. It's like, well, don't fuck other women then, mate. Like, (laughs) come on. It's not that hard. Yeah, so those were the sort of like, oh, okay. Yeah, he does also have, there's a whole recurring theme in it where he has like flashbacks to his childhood and Mm -hmm. events of his past. And sometimes you think they are genuine flashbacks. Sometimes you wonder whether they are him embroidering his memories with fantasy. Yeah, And there's this one really weird sequence. So there's a a flashback to childhood, which I think is genuinely childhood, where he's getting bathed with like brothers and sisters and then carried up to bed and put to bed. Then there's later another sequence where he is an adult and all of these women he fancies some women he doesn't fancy, his mother, some other people, are all in this great big room and basically they're all trying to give him a bath. Mm. And I watched this film first with my boyfriend and he was like, yeah, I think overall this is just a film about a man who wants to be bathed and put to bed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, there is some sort of like fundamental desire to be looked after. Exactly, that he wants, I think he wants to give up control. Mm -hmm. He, the director is supposed to be the person in control, directing everyone else, channeling his own creative vision into employment and output from all of these other hundreds of people. He's feeling like he can't do that. So actually what he wants is just to be like wrapped in a towel 
towel and left in a bed to sleep. Yeah. You know, and for other people to make all of the decisions. The bits I really liked about this film were the bits that sort of took that like creative process and just like laid it all out mm. there in front of you. So they'll be like, you know, like the opening bit with the calves and the silence and it's all very strange. And then there'll be like a conversation about how these seemingly unrelated scenes uh, put together. The author of the film that's supposedly being made is talking to the director about how that couldn't communicate stuff in mm. film. So you like you both see it and then you have a, con- a sort of meta narrative about yeah. it. And I I liked that. It felt quite playful and quite... I, I enjoyed that side of it. And I also quite liked the things like there would be a scene with, uh, I don't know, maybe like the ride of the Valkyries in the background... Mm. And then a snatch of conversation and then like some really like deafening silent movie silence. And then the conversation would start up again. And there's all these sort of weird gaps and spaces like that where you're sort of allowed to just interpret for yourself what's going on. And I I wonder if this film's quite a lot about that experience of like interpreting and the weird negative spaces where you can put yourself into a film a bit. I also really like all of the filming of people's faces mm. that are in it. Sorry, like lots of close-ups, aren't lots there? Lots of close-ups of people who aren't even really characters in the film. They're just mm-hmm. extras and bystanders. But when they have an interesting face, the the camera lingers on it for a yeah. bit, you know. And I, I really like that. That's something I remember from... We watched the Zeffirelli Passion of the Christ film <laughs> in RS when I was at school, and I found it quite boring, apart from the fact that he spent an awful lot of time just filming the faces of interesting people in the crowd Mm. and i think i read about that film that a lot of the crowd scenes it was made in like rural italy in the 60s a lot of the crowd scenes were just like him posting a notice in a village being like if you would like to earn some money please all turn up at this place at this time and then he just filmed the people he thought looked interesting that's really fun so i felt like that i really like that as a technique yeah definitely yeah so and it's just visually stunning right? absolutely amazing you feel like you would happily have basically any still from the film printed out on your wall definitely so relaxing in that sense and then some like weird jarring shit will happen and it doesn't seem so relaxing anymore it's very long it is very long (laughs) could have been some editing (laughs) i saw it in the i saw it in the cinema and did i will admit drop off for for about 10 minutes in the middle yeah well it's out of two two and a half hours 10 minutes you're Mm. doing all right in my defense there was a really tall man sat in front of me and he kept moving his head so i couldn't read the subtitles and when i couldn't read the subtitles i was like oh sleeping now oh yeah i don't actually know my my subtitles were like also translated Ah. so there was a lot of stuff where someone would be like do not enter and then someone would walk in and i'd be like he definitely said enter. Like, do not enter there. He was saying, no, no, you know, come, come in. in. <laughs> uh, so, you know, things like that where it didn't quite match up. But Fellini shall not be blamed for the YouTube auto <laughs> caption feature. So, yeah, an interesting diversion into some, you know, classic cinema, which was great for me. From the high to the very, very low. <laughs> Next week, I thought we'd talk about, and this is, I'd say... Not so much a recommendation as something that I think will be fun for us to talk about. Channel 4's Naked Dating, which has conjured a lot of conversation over in the UK. It's a bit of a water cooler program at the moment. And it's basically a dating show where the only information you're really getting about the person that you could choose to date is their naked body. So it reveals their naked, the naked body of all these sort of options for the, I don't know what the word is, contestant? I participant? Guess, yeah, participant. The participants choosing uh, from the toes to the sort of genital area first, and then you get the torso, and then finally you get the heads as well. 
it's all very weird and then the participant themselves has to get naked at the end yeah i think when you wrote about this your because i haven't watched this but i did read your piece about it uh your description of it as like take me out but naked yeah exactly is a good one yeah Yeah. so you get these people in a semicircle all stood in their sort of boobs but they're naked and they don't have a buzzer (laughs) (laughs) that's basically it okay i will give this a go because yeah i agree it maybe doesn't sound like something i'm going to really enjoy but i would like to be able to be part of the conversation about i feel like what everyone's talking about at the moment is why is everyone on tv naked now yeah it's definitely a thing so uh as life-changing as a fellini film <laughs> channel 4's naked day <laughs> thanks for listening to seriously the pop culture podcast from the new statesman if you enjoyed this episode please subscribe to seriously all you have to do is search srsly in itunes or any other podcasting app you use while you're there it would be really great if you could leave us an itunes review as it helps other people find the show we also rely on you listeners for your recommendations so if you want to tell us what you thought about something or if you've got something we should watch you can contact us on twitter facebook via email all the details are on seriouslypodcast.com if you like you can also recommend us to your friends family neighbors strangers let them know that you like the podcast and they should be listening to it too selling a little or a lot shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage shopify is there to help you grow shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout 36 percent better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms because businesses that grow grow with shopify Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.